Welcome to Finding Flow, where your hosts, George Russian and John Honeycutt, guide you on topics related to finding and achieving the optimal state of human consciousness known as flow state. They will share principles of neuroscience and peak performance, offering practical takeaways and actionable challenges to support you in finding your flow. And now, here are your hosts, George and John. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Finding Flow, Episode 7, John. Round number seven. We've, uh, we've, we've come so far. Lucky number seven. Lucky for our listeners, because this one's going to be fire. How are, uh, how are you doing today? I'm really, really well. Thank you. I'm doing so good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, nobody can see this, but we have a different camera perspective today. So um, you suspect that this is going to be... Uh, this is going to make make waves uh, as far as this recording goes. And so far, I kind of agree. I, I can see a little bit more of myself and my background. So There's of- a whole different feel. Everybody, I'm looking at the left side of George's face rather than straight on. And if it was good looking straight on, it's even better kind of from a, from a one-quarter perspective. <laughs> the mustache today is uh, glorious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the, this is the, the, this is the good angle. This is the good angle. Um, so yes, yes, as you said, uh, today will be uh, 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 fire. We we have uh, a couple really big things really uh, to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, cognitive load today, and we're going to talk about decision fatigue, um, and these kind of um, uh, go hand in hand, uh, I, I think, and that's why we've decided to group them together. Uh, but they also get conflated sometimes, and so I think it's we'll make some distinctions here uh, to help to help everyone. Um, uh, work with these, and um, the the reason that we put them together, it's I, I, as we were kind of discussing before we got on, John. These are kind of the two biggest uh, blockers that we see for folks day to day. Certainly, uh, two two biggest thing, two biggest things that we kind of combat uh, in order to get into uh, certainly to get into a flow state, but sometimes just to get just to get moving. Uh, in our day. And so that, that's why I've decided to group them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, especially given where we've been in the last six episodes with the podcast, talking about things like sleep, um, how to develop a flow or an autotelic personality, how to work with your biology, how to really navigate the flow cycle intentionally, all the benefits of being in that optimal state of human consciousness that we call flow state. Um, this is looking at it from the other perspective. Like, what are the two biggest likely culprits for having people not go in that direction? And just from the outset, I'd like to create a, a frame of, you know, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi talks about flow as an ordered state of consciousness um, and contrast that with a what he calls entropic or a disordered state of consciousness. So I'd like for you and I and our listeners just to consider that you're you're only ever going up into greater levels of order and therefore greater levels of well-being, performance, and flow, or you're going down. And our, our, our culture and our society is set up to have us go down. So cognitive load and decision fatigue are, in my opinion, probably the outside of sleep, they're probably the two biggest things that have that sort of suction that pulls people down into a more disordered state of consciousness. So if our listeners can be aware of it, be responsible for it and have some strategies that will enable them to um, effectively combat that. The likelihood of having that higher ordered state of consciousness really, really escalates dramatically. 
Yeah, and I, I agree, John. I think um, uh, you, you touched on how this uh, pops up in in society, but uh, you know, we could look at it just on the individual level. How something like cognitive load specifically uh, pops up day to day, and I think maybe we'll, we'll get uh, we'll get a definition on the board, and so that way we're kind of clear about what we're talking about. We'll, we're, and we today, we're, uh, to be clear, we're going to start about we're, we're going to start talking about cognitive load. So we'll start there, and we'll kind of get into um, we'll get into decision fatigue uh, after that. Um, and so, uh, what we, we jotted down, uh, for cognitive load, this is, um, uh, the total amount of mental effort that is required to complete a task, uh, involving processing information. So that's, uh, I think a pretty straight, straightforward way to, um, to start thinking about it. And, um, what I, what I started to, uh, uh jot down myself in some of the some of the, the the research about the specifics around cognitive load uh, headed into this episode was uh, there's a couple different um, buckets we can kind of we can kind of put the cognitive load into and so um, we have kind of like a, a intrinsic cognitive load that's an inherent with a lot of the things that we do so um, a uh, a really hard uh, uh, algebra. Uh, equation or something like that is just it's harder to solve it takes more energy to solve than uh, one plus one equals two so that's an, an example um, we have, uh, extraneous uh, cognitive load so sometimes the way that information is presented uh, to you can make it harder to uh, can, can can result in you ha- you you taking more work to, to, to process it right so um, uh, this this kind of pops up a lot in uh, how we're taught uh, in in different classes, uh, sometimes the way that we, uh, the way that authors write, right? So two people could write a book, write books on the same subject, and one might be really, really easy to engage with, and you, you fly through it, and the other one, you know, it feels almost like a, an academic textbook, and it's it, uh, uh, hard, to, harder to get through. And then the, the third thing that uh, I, 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 uh, I started to read about, which I, I kind of didn't uh, I didn't fully grasp at first was uh, is germane cognitive load, and that's how um, we can start to create um, uh, mental schemas uh, or or pathways or uh, groupings or however we want to put it in order to um, uh, a bucket the cognitive load that we do have together. So if you've ever heard about um, uh, people chunking information together, grouping information together uh, to, to, uh, to, to reduce cognitive load, that's what, that's what the uh, germane cognitive load is. So those are three things that I, I, uh, we don't necessarily have to spend a, a ton of time on, but I, I did want to make uh, some, some distinctions kind of within the, the cognitive load uh, mm-hmm. area. Yeah, the, the germane part is interesting because cognitive load really is dealing with what we would call working memory. And working memory, uh, cognitive psychologists know is limited. The, I, the amount of things that you can hold in your working memory, which you could think of as like the RAM on your computer, is, you know, about five to seven items. And you can hold them in memory for about 10 seconds. So you've got a limited scope and a limited duration in your working memory. That seven items, by the way, is why we have seven digit phone numbers. Typically, you have things that are symbolic, like the area code, but typically seven things is about what you can remember. Um, long-term memory is nearly infinite or limitless, excuse me. So that germane cognitive load is how you're processing things out of your working memory into long-term memory. 
So you really have to, as you're planning your life, you have to allow for all three of these. You need to have the cognitive load that is intrinsic to what you're working on. And as you said, if you're working on a task that's more complex, you have to allocate more space in your brain for that. The germane stuff, moving it from the schemas into long-term memory, is just going to have to be happening. The part that's optional is the extraneous part. And while this is used a lot in instructional design or digital design or writing, you know, how can you communicate, how can you educate in a way that doesn't overwhelm the student or doesn't overwhelm the visitor to a website or somebody who's taking an online course, for people who are looking at managing their own behavior and getting into flow consciousness, we can really start to take a crack at that extraneous cognitive load. And that's the... I think that's the focus for this conversation. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I think uh, uh, we definitely want to look at how we can be better about that uh, from a couple different angles, uh, both in how we receive information. And then um, I think for both of us, it's important how, how we how we disseminate information as well. Uh, I trained uh, jiu-jitsu for a long time. And one very common thread uh, that, that ran through different instructors that were uh, in my opinion, just uh, phenomenal instructors, is that they talked uh, less. They were they were very uh, concise in their speech, and uh, it's not necessarily right that they knew more about uh, maybe uh, something specific that they were teaching. Maybe they they maybe they did, but they understood that giving the uh, the student uh, small actionable uh, steps and letting them go and go and run with it. That was going to, in the long run, uh, uh, create uh, a more interesting class environment uh, where we're talking less and we're training more, and that's what everybody wanted wanted to do, and um, uh, and create create more engagement with the subject matter because then there's a there's a uh, there's something different there when you're when you're discovering the intricacies of uh, uh, um, something really complex for yourself versus having that kind of spoon fed to you when you don't understand it, right? Like that, that was, that was a, co- a common thread was kind of speaking less, speaking really in, in, in con- uh, being concise uh, in your speech. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. There's, there's clear best practice for how you train or how you educate people. Um, we want today to kind of turn that around and look as the learner or as the thinker, how do we create what we, the, the goal here is less cognitive load. If you could, you want to walk around empty. You don't want to have anything in your short-term brain so that you can actually be 100% cognitively focused on what you're up to, not trying to also remember what you're doing later or what's on your to-do list or something you can't forget. Or more commonly, all the little beeps and notifications and alerts and posts that pop up that tell us, oh, we've got a new Facebook message, or there's a new news story, or we've got a text message, something like that. So a lot of the work that we are focused on with reducing cognitive load, such that people can get into flow, have the increased performance, have the increased well-being, is getting rid of distractions. That's one of the very, very first things that people can do. There's a whole laundry list of things that we can share with our listeners that we could start to do as a set of practices that will give us a a lower cognitive load prone lifestyle. 
But first, one of the things I wanted to just create is that there are there are dire consequences of walking around with high cognitive load. Number one would be you have a lot more stress. Most of our listeners, most of the people that I coach, most of the people you know, George, are walking around in a state of overwhelm. We live in a, a time where you know, we, we have more information in a day than most people in human history had in a lifetime coming at us. We're trying to like manage all of it. We're trying to keep it, you know, and try to process it in some way. Um, that overwhelm is very, very potent. And it really leads to, it, it leads to people making errors. It leads to a lot of rework. It leads to a lot of indecision. And really like a lot in my work, I see people with mindset issues and dealing with cognitive distortion or limited belief. A lot of that happens when you're full up with your cognition. Does that make sense? Yeah. hundred percent to me. I, um, uh, that is a, uh, I, I think something that both of us, act, I know that both of us actively work on. And I, I think, uh, you know, you mentioned there's a laundry list of things that we could mention. I, I think it'd be, it would be good to maybe knock out some low hanging fruit here. Um, things that we could, um, that we would recommend, uh, people could start doing today. Uh, and I, we had a, a couple things uh, written down, but maybe we start with, uh, maybe we could just start with our, um, our environment and, and, and go from there and just kind of, kind of trickle mm-hmm. down the list. What do you see about environment? Um, well, one, I, I think that, uh, if anything has, um, uh, one thing that's kind of opened up for me over the last several months, I've been uh, primarily working uh, from home, is uh, how I'm able to really fine tune uh, my environment versus uh, working in in an office. And so um, I'm able to uh, have exactly what I want on my desk. I'm able to, in in, in large part, kind of control uh, the interactions that I have face to face over the course of a day, and it makes it much easier to to um, create blocks of time where I can concentrate on uh, a single task. And so from a productivity standpoint, uh, that's been um, really, really great. I don't, I don't think I'm alone in being, I'm, I'm a, I'm an e- easily distracted person and I don't think I'm alone. I think that's probably may- maybe pretty inherent. Uh, and so um, th- that's, that's one thing having, a, having a closed space that I, I can control. It can be quiet. Um, and I, and I can sit down and concentrate on things. By um, by evolution, your brain is designed to browse. <clears throat> we were originally foragers, and so we are biochemically and neurologically addicted to the bright, shiny object because it could be a bush that has more berries. We've got some berries on this bush, but that other bush over there may have greater survival impact and meaning for us. So there's nothing wrong with your brain. That's just how, you know, that's how you're geared. So we have to be aware of it to kind of combat that. And I love the focus on environment using the analog or correlates that we had of instructional design or writing or web design. You have a designer or an instructor who's being intentional about what shows up on screen, what shows up on a PowerPoint slide, what shows up in a website or the written page, and they don't want to have the, that environment, that learning environment, overwhelm the student's cognition or the website visitor's cognition. In the same way, when you're in an office, most of us with COVID now are working from home. If you have a pile of laundry over in the left-hand side of your perspective, 
that's going to take some of those seven slots that you have in working memory for sure. It's just going to pull your attention. If you have the radio on and it's got lyrics that are pulling your distraction, if you've got a second screen and you've got your Facebook news feed, it's probably the most common, that's going to pull your attention. So managing your digital and physical environment such that you can have greater focus and lower cognitive load is, I'd say, the number one thing that people can do to get started. I uh, agree 100%. I think I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the second screen. I, I think that um, uh, um, one thing that we can do a lot of uh, a lot of times, if you're uh, especially if you're working in a um, uh, an environment or uh, an environment or a, uh, some some sort of job where other people are also online all day, is uh, you can control the way that you interact with your email. You can control the way that you interact with the, uh, Slack or Microsoft Teams or, or whatever messenger messaging system you're using. Um, and that's one thing that I do is uh, something like Slack uh, and my email. Uh, those are two, two primary communication tools that I use for work. They don't sit up uh, on my screen all the time. And I do not have notifications that pop up all the time. While it is... Uh, Undoubtedly, uh, sometimes there are uh, emergency fire drill type of situations. A- absolutely, uh, that's what my phone is for. People can call me if they if they need something uh, right away. Uh, but um, those are those are uh, two things that I, I would I would strongly recommend is not having those up uh, and not having uh, notifications set all the time so that there's like a you know the little pop 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 noise pops up every time you get an email every time you, you receive a slack message it's incredibly distracting if you're trying to actually buckle down and, and produce uh and, and work on something yeah i think this goes back to one of our earlier episodes where we were talking about working with your biology and working with the flow cycle rather than against it and in that episode we we had some consideration for that you know People may, there may be realities of your office life that at this stage you're not 100% autonomous for. But I want everybody to get that they can be a leader in the cultures that they're in and they can start to take a stand for some of the practices we've talked about, which is even if it's just for 30 minutes, turn off Slack, turn off Outlook, turn off your text messaging, and then have a clear goal that you're focusing on and engage in your work. That may take having some enrollment conversations with supervisors and colleagues, but it is essential if you're going to get into a higher level of productivity, performance, and, you know, happiness, peace of mind. We have to start being responsible for this constant drip, 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 and pull on our attention. It's creating an entire generation of humans who have what's called attention deficit trait, which is like attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, except it doesn't have any of the so-called positives that go along with that chemical disorder. It's just all of the negatives, fractured attention, stress, overwhelm, frustration, and burnout, kind of the four horsemen. Um, So one of the things that I do is I will actually turn my phone into airplane mode, turn it off and put it out of my visual sight. Cause even psychologists have seen even seeing the phone, can start triggering higher levels of cognitive load. Millennials are experiencing something called phantom text syndrome, where they will feel their phone vibrating in their jeans pocket 
skinny jeans pocket. And it's not actually, they're not actually being texted. It's really, this is having like a long-term deleterious impact on our neurology and our cognition. Yeah, we don't, we don't experience that because we're old and we have belt clips uh, for, <laughs> for our phones. So we don't, we don't have the same. Yeah. But uh, no, I think that's great, John. I think that's, uh, that's something that, uh, that's a great, great best practice. I do the same thing. I think um, before, before we, le- we, we, uh, we leave off, I, I think, uh, or we, before we kind of move on rather from, uh, uh, from this, you can start, um, you talked about maybe having enrollment conversations with folks that you're working with or supervisor, whoever it is. You can start super, and I think this largely depends on what kind of trust level you have uh, with the folks that you work with, and um, kind of how how you're showing up. But um, you can you can start specific. So I, I don't know. I've managed lots of people, and if someone came to me and said, "Hey, I'd like to take twelve o'clock to one o'clock today, or twelve o'clock to two o'clock, or to two o'clock today to work on you know project X Y Z that you know is coming up," and so um, I'm going to go ahead and block that time out, so uh, you know I don't have any meetings. If you need to get a hold of me, uh, you know, do, give me a call or give me or you know you know pick the way pick a way that they could get a, get a hold of you. Um, I, 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 I can't imagine ever saying no to that, right? Oh, I want to mm. buckle down and I, you know, I want to work on something. So you can start there. Um, and I think uh, more and more what we're seeing, uh, and, and I know Microsoft has a, uh, with even within their Outlook tool, they have uh, something called Cortana that will pop up and it will actually suggest that you take focus time uh, in certain blocks of time and you can, you can just block it out first thing in the morning. <clears throat> I know that that's something that my boss does uh, when... Uh, you know, when he when he wants to buckle down and focus on something, and it just blocks out the calendar. It says that you're busy, and um, and he can use that time to to work on things. And so, I, I think that if a company uh, as as the size of and as productive as Microsoft is seeing that this is so important that we're going to build this right into our our Outlook application, it, it's probably something that uh, is is worth worth a conversation at least with with who you're working with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see this at uh, Amazon, at Facebook, at Google, at some of the larger tech companies. The 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 science is indisputable that we are we are losing our focus and we're losing performance that way. Um, and so the larger companies are actually starting to make inroads um, as generally the most egregious uh, offenders in the past. But for yeah, mid-sized organizations or smaller organizations, there might need to be some conversations. I ask my clients to give their supervisors a performance challenge. Let's try this for 30 days. Let me check email in the morning and in the afternoons and let me be on Slack or Teams at specific times. And let me focus on the things that are actually my quality outputs, the things that you hired me to do. And if I can demonstrate 3x, 4x, 5x performance by not being so hyper collaborative and hyper available, then let's keep going that way. And if not, you know, we can always open up the Slack line again and, and just all be firehose reactive. Um, and when people take that challenge on, it really shifts their perspective on what's possible. Because in my experience, it only takes one or two conversations with your, with your colleagues and with your supervisors to say, hey, these are the times I'm checking email. And they get trained. They'll go randomize someone else. They know that you're not available to be randomized. So part of it is just being responsible that we are complicit and in some ways addicted to that because you're getting a dopamine hit every single time that little slack message comes up every single time you get to help somebody and be immediately responsive so you gotta you gotta step away from the short term 
and go for something a little bit longer term. And we're talking 30 minutes, 50 minutes at a time. So speaking of that timing, I wanted to talk about another one of the best practices to reduce cognitive load is Pomodoro timing. And actually, we talked about this in the episode related to dancing with your biology is pick a 50 minute block or a 30 minute block, set a timer, turn off all of your other devices, turn off all your other screens, set clear goals for yourself, chunk them down to make it stupid simple, and then go for it. And then when you're done, stand up, leave your desk, leave your office environment, do some calisthenics, do some breathing, go stand in the, in the sun if you can. And then you'll come back refreshed. That's a huge practice for reducing cognitive load as you go. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's a great recommendation, um, and uh, certainly something that I build into my own time blocks. And I and I would encourage people to th- to think um, uh, think hard about how they are spending those uh, those time blocks and 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 what you can get done uh, and. And uh, and the impact of, of what you're what it is you're you're trying to get done, um, as someone who, um, uh, for example, uh, me as someone who communicates with uh, with clients a lot and communicates across um, across uh, sometimes across organizations, uh, something like writing an email that might take me thirty minutes to craft and make sure that I have everything in that I want to have in if I'm building an, an agenda in or something like that to build the right type of agenda um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the um, since email is a uh, um, kind of a, a rough form of communication we'll say not it's not like talking face to face make sure that t- the tone is correct uh, and all the people that I want to have uh, uh, you know uh, uh, in the in the uh, uh, that I want to send it to or are accounted for, all those things, right? So sometimes it might it might just take a while. And I would argue that uh, doing that rather than firing off an email in two minutes that you don't really think about uh, is worth the the, the other twenty eight, <laughs> uh, uh, and and then some, um, because I, I think that uh, I certainly have been part of, and probably a lot of folks listening have been part of email chains that go on and on forever because it's very clear that uh, two people aren't communicating, aren't ta- you know aren't taking the time to kind of suss out what the other person is looking for, maybe think about where they're coming from, think about their perspective, uh, think about what they have to gain or lose in the in whatever we're talking about, and so thinking about all those things up uh, uh, ahead of time. Uh, saves everybody, uh, all ten people that you're that you're copying on that email a whole ton of time, and so thinking about that across the organization. So maybe I took thirty minutes instead of two, but I just saved uh, hours of communication. Maybe I saved two meetings that we would have had, uh, but no, I, I got all that very clearly communicated in a in a in a in a in a concise email. So now we don't have to have those we don't have to have those meetings. Saves a ton of time across the board. So um, thinking about cognitive load, not. Uh, certainly, I mean, we're talking about this as a, as an individual uh, quest, but I'm always I, I'm also always thinking about it from a uh, uh, you know a company wide or or maybe team wide uh, perspective. How much time can I save everyone today? Uh, is is a is a, a, another way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the numbers don't lie, and the research done out of UC Irvine and Gallup and the World Health Organization show that the average. U.S. worker is getting something like 2.3 hours of work done a day in an eight or nine hour workday with a whopping 11 minutes of focus time. They were tracking like what is the mean time between interruption or the mean time between distraction. And by the way, 
44% is self-distracted, not just a coworker interruption or slack. So that's something that needs to be highlighted. Um, so, you know, if you're getting 11 minutes of focus time a day, this may be worth taking on. You know, you've tried it this way. Now it's time to maybe lean into developing the discipline of allowing yourself to deeply focus and don't go for the entire workday. You know, pick an hour or pick a two hour, two hour block and start there and then grow your capability to be more focused and have greater cognitive space and freedom and then see what shows up. One of the things that we mentioned earlier that I want to just underscore for just a moment, George, is the idea of clear goals. So if our listeners are following so far, they're going to have a time block on their calendar. They're going to show up and they're going to have a clear, open cognition. And now what do I do with that? I'm not being distracted. I'm not being interrupted. I'm not multitasking. I'm really focused. Now you want to have prior to starting, you want to have a goal. What's the intention for that 30 minutes or 50 minutes or 150 minutes? What do you want to accomplish? And then break that down. You want to have it chunked down into very, very simple tasks. This is part of instructional design. This is part of website design. This is part of children's educational philosophy. And it works with adults in the workplace or other uh, arenas as well. So make it stupid simple. And then to keep cognitive load low, you just do the next thing. And then you do the next thing. And then you do the next thing. So that's a huge ingredient in this recipe for lowering cognitive load. Uh, that's great. And I, I think there's a couple ways. Um, uh, uh, I'll give, give a couple, couple examples. Uh, one thing that I, uh, that we do as a, as a, uh, as an agile team at work is we try to group, um, we try to group certain activities together. So for example, um, we have uh, grooming meetings on Friday where we will go through all of the work items that we, we look to, uh, we're, we're hoping to knock out over the next couple of weeks. And uh, we actually write up, uh, we write up user stories, we write up uh, acceptance criteria for like the different pieces of work. And it's helpful to do that uh, you know, five, six, seven, eight times in a row, you kind of get into a groove rather than having that, uh, those activities kind of scattered about, all, all, you know, all over the week where you're, you're kind of having to reset from maybe a different activity, get into that mindset. Uh, okay. What, what I, I can't remember exactly how we, okay. I have to go like reference this other item and uh, okay. And I write it out. No, we just, we do all that together. We do it collaboratively, uh, which, which is helpful. It, it, um, it helps, um, more than just one person get good at that activity, which is important too. And it creates uh, what we kind of alluded to, or what I was alluding to earlier, uh, kind of tying into to, uh, to jujitsu. Now that becomes kind of a, uh, that's a, uh, in our, in our minds, that becomes a, uh, it's something that's, it's chunked. So if I were to tell John, Hey, go write up a, uh, go, could you go write up a, a user story? Uh, he could do it. Right, but it would take him just a little bit, a little bit longer to to kind of work through, and he might have to do some research just to do that. Now, um, uh, uh, instead of that, uh, that means something to uh, to to my team where they can just go and they can just go bang that out pretty pretty quickly, Um, and we accelerate that process even more by doing that as a uh, as a as a group doing it together and getting input from um, everybody. 
on the on, on the team. So that's that's one example. Is kind of ba- what I'm getting at is batching activities. Mm-hmm. It might be it might be sending uh, sending invitations, sending emails, batching activities together, such that uh, you uh, yeah you can kind of get into the get into a groove in that time block. George, do you know what this reminds me of? No. Um, we talked earlier about like a computer example, a metaphor of RAM. Like when you're talking about chunking and putting like tasks and batching them together, this reminds me of defragging a hard drive. Do you remember back when we defragged hard drives? When you were supposed to defrag hard drives. Well, it showed you, it showed you like, I I don't know if you remember this, but I I remember like this little visual graph and it would show like your files are scattered everywhere and it's horribly inefficient because now the, the arm, because hard drives used to be mechanical, you know, and had an arm that would go up and down on the disk. But if it has to get a little bit of the file over here, and then it has to go over here and get a little bit of the file, and then it has to go over here, that takes a lot more time. So you would, you would defrag the hard drive, get it out of that fragmented state, and then you'd put all the common things together. Part of what we're talking about with reducing cognitive load is very similar to like defragging your life. On the one level, we're talking about a behavioral context. How do you defrag your behavior so that you're not purposely distracting yourself, multitasking, having a lot of interruptions? The next level was environmental. How do you set up your environment? Especially if you're working from home, can you close the door and put a sign up that says, do not disturb, right? And then what you just spoke to brilliantly is defragging the culture or the team or the organization. How do you start chunking and batching and defragging workload so that it's actually effective and efficient and reduces cognitive load for everybody because then you can go so much farther as an organization. That's a level of responsibility and intentionality that I don't think most of us have taken on, but that's where leadership shows up. This is an opportunity, especially in this COVID world, for us to really make a difference and not just get our own work life sorted, but to really have an impact on the, on the broader team and the broader organization. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's, um, uh, yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty critical, pretty critical. (laughs) Well, Um, I want to go ahead. I'm sorry, George. No, I I was going to say exactly what you're going to say. Go ahead. Yeah. I want to move to, there's kind of a, a, a macro level of this conversation. We've been looking at a micro level, which is within a work day or within a time block or within just any moment, what are the things that are filling up your cognitive space and giving you greater cognitive load? I want to scale out to the, I want to zoom out to the scale of a human life. And I want people to think about there's ways that we spend our life and that overwhelm in the moment grows to this sense of existential, I'm wasting my life. Overwhelm on a daily basis translates to that existential angst on a lifetime scale. What am I supposed to be doing with my life? You know? And so there are actually, there's three kinds of actions that I want to distinguish that you, I, and our listeners engage in daily and across the course of life. The first one I would call value actions. These are, these are the actions that directly contribute to what you're up to what your commitments are, your goals, your life purpose, their value actions. And you could look, you could do an inventory of what you're doing each day and say some percentage of my behavior, 
some percentage of my environment, some percentage of my team and organization is aligned to those value actions. Then there's two kinds of waste. So the first would be type one waste, and this would be traditionally considered life maintenance. For some people, this takes up, you know, eight hours a day or four to six hours a day. This is cooking, cleaning, doing chores, managing the household, being with family relationships. I'm not talking about actually being with humans, but just sort of the, the management of life, the maintenance of life. This is generally considered necessary, but I assert that you can actually start to automate, delegate, outsource, create routines around, create systems around, create standards around. You want to try to minimize that where possible. You don't want your, you know, you don't want to have a third of your life be about doing the dishes. But type two waste would be the other one. And this is the big offender. These are activities that add zero value. They are not aligned with your goals. They're not aligned with what you're actually committed to or who you are as a purpose. They're just pure waste. No offense to Netflix, but, you know, Netflix or Amazon Prime, no offense to Facebook, but social media, even things, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say things like alcohol and sugar that add no inherent value to what you're really, truly committed to, not just hedonism, but what you really want in life. So from a cognitive load perspective, if you could do an inventory on your life and start to delegate some of the type one waste and start to eliminate some of that pure waste, the type two waste, so that your life just had more focus on the things that are valuable, some of these micro level conversations would get much easier. I'm going to go ahead and push back on sugar, John. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I use it for fuel. <laughs> I use it for, it's, it's wonderful fuel, but I, under, I understand what you're saying. The, um, and, 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 and agree the, um, and I, and I, and I like that distinction between the, between the type one, type one waste and type two waste. <clears throat> uh, I would, um, I would uh, kind of going back to the, the, uh, uh, chunking or batching that we were talking about just a moment ago. Um, so, Something like type one waste, well, you might not have the uh, you might not have the, the the means or the resources to hire a cleaner or something like that for your home. Those are activities that can absolutely be uh, uh, batched together. I, I think of uh, meal prep, for example. So uh, you can do that at one designated time on the weekend or something like that, and and build out your lunches for the entirety of the week. And that's that's a that's a way that you can take that uh, maybe something that we might consider type type one waste something that you have to do in order to to uh, uh, subsist um, and uh, and free up a whole bunch of time over the course of the week and and, and use and then turn that into focus time right at uh, at work or or, or whatever else you're doing so uh, I, I like that distinction and I would I would just create here that it's not just about like corporate work that we're talking about it's it's being able to focus on what you value. So I think for most of our listeners, there has to be a kind of a hard conversation, an honest conversation about, do you really value doing the dishes? Is that something that really like at the end of your life, are you going to be on your deathbed looking back and saying, I'm so glad that I spent, you know, 20% of my life doing those kinds of tasks. That's, that's what I came to this planet to contribute. Probably not. So I agree. You might not everybody is going to be able to hire somebody to do that or outsource it, but I think staying in the conversation and not collapsing to the position that this is just the way it is will yield some fruit. These are 
we talked about some of the lower hanging fruits at a micro level. This is some of the much more systemic, bigger picture things that if people can start to change the balance to having your life be more about the valuable activities and less about the non-valuable or waste level activities, the level of focus doesn't have to be as high on this whole process. Your life will now be engineered to have greater cognitive freedom. So it's a, it's a conversation worth having. Typically coaching is a good way to address something like this because doing it on your own, you know, you could, you could cut your own hair or you could give yourself a chiropractic adjustment, but probably better to work with a professional and actually like take this kind of stuff on at a, at a higher level. Uh, John, any any last things we want to we want to uh, we want to touch on before we we transition to uh, talking about decision fatigue? I mean, I could talk I could talk for a couple more hours on cognitive load, um, and I think I think this is a great time to talk, start talking about decision fatigue. Excellent, excellent. All right, um, cool. Well, let, we'll we'll uh, we'll go ahead and dive we'll dive into decision fatigue. I uh, I think again we'll start with uh, just a. Uh, a straight definition, so we're kind of clear about what we're talking about. So decision fatigue, uh, this is the uh, uh, easiest way to sum it up, difficulty in making decisions due to the number of decisions needed you need to make. Uh, and so um, uh, this can uh, lead, lead to all sorts of things, but I, I think a couple of things that we, we wrote down kind of leads to poor decision making, especially as the, as the day kind of goes on. Um, and then uh, uh, oftentimes uh, Im- impulse uh, decision makings, whether that's uh, like impulse buying or firing off an email real quick instead of spending the time that you ought to on it or something like that, um, or, uh, or avoiding making decisions altogether because you're, you're kind of out, out of gas. Um, what we noted, uh, and you see kind of different numbers floated out, uh, but they're, they're all enormous numbers, but uh, you make about 35,000 decisions uh, every day. And so... Um, uh, we don't always uh, we don't always we don't uh, think through all of those. I think there's like a very the very uh, very famous uh, example at this point is that you know Steve Jobs kind of dressing in jeans and the black turtleneck every day, um, and I think uh, like Mike Mark Zuckerberg does the same thing with like gray t-shirts or something, right? And so um, you know we think about that, but on it, which is you know a, a decision every day that you might be saving yourself. So it's it's a it's a, a good example and also not very helpful when we think about the, how many decisions we're actually making. We're, you know, we're, we're more interested in, in uh, uh, um, uh, removing or getting rid of large chunks, like thousands of decisions if we could every day. But anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of how, how we, how we uh, start to think about it. We can start to think about it. Yeah. One of the things that I've been training my coaching cohort in is the difference between using intrinsic motivation as a fuel for the things that you want to take on, especially given our conversation on cognitive load, if you've cleared the deck, so to speak, you've got an open cognition and got an open time block and you're not being distracted by all the pop-ups. Now you want to be able to bring that intrinsically motivated so that you're fueled to do that particular task. The distinct, the contrast would be willpower. And we want to preserve our willpower because unlike intrinsic motivation, which is inherently unlimited, willpower is a daily fuel that has a very clear limit to it. And one of the things that takes bits out of our willpower each day are these decisions. So one of the greatest ways to give yourself a a greater reserve tank of willpower is to automate decisions, is to have to make less decisions, basically. 
that 35,000 decisions a day is a mind-boggling number. I've read that 2,400 of those, almost 10%, is related to food. What am I going to eat? When am I going to eat? Where am I going to eat? How am I going to prep it? Who's going to clean up after? All of that kind of stuff. Like There's just a tremendous amount of energy that we're wasting every single day. And before we get into like what to do about it, I just want to highlight that just like with high levels of cognitive load, there are some real clear side effects of being subject to decision fatigue that go beyond just the risky, questionable decisions that you're making, the impulsivity. Most impulse buying and impulse eating happen toward the latter half of the day as you're moving into the afternoon and evening where your willpower has just been completely eroded and then you make questionable decisions about alcohol. You make questionable questionable decisions about carbohydrate-rich foods and overeating. You make questionable decisions about gambling or shopping online or a whole raft of different kinds of things, um, or just avoiding your life completely. Just being like, I've, there's too many decisions. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to make any decision. I'm just going to say no to everything. In the long run, this leads to chronic stress. This leads to irritability and is a huge contributor to anxiety and depression. Yeah, there's a reason uh, they give you free drinks at the casino to stay at the blackjack table. And it's not because the odds change as hours go on. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's great. I, I, another example, I, I, we talked about, or you talked about, um, uh, eating another example that certainly comes to mind, uh, for me, since I, I do not commute by car anymore, uh, and haven't in a long time, just how many decisions could go into, uh, uh, a 30 minute, 30 minute to 30 minute home, 45 or whatever it is, you know, 45 minutes, an hour uh, each way or something like that through Seattle traffic. How many decisions are you making before you even get to work? Before you even get to what it is that you're looking to do, <laughs> you know, what you you know what it is you're up to. Uh, and then how many decisions do you have to make then after a, a long work day? Um, you know, we don't think about that. You know, I have to change lanes. What's this car doing? What's right. You're making uh, easily thousands of decisions, I would say, uh, by the time you're, you're done with that, with that drive, it, it's nice. You save a lot of mental energy <laughs> by, by not, uh, by, by not, uh, necessarily having to do that. That's a great example of a sort of a broad scale initiative or a systemic change that you could make that is going to eliminate a huge swath of these decisions. But the, the point is really well taken. This is death by a thousand cuts. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that I would say that, that listeners could do first to start to reduce the amount of decision fatigue that they have in their life, although most people resist this word, would be developing routines. And the reason I say routines is because the more you can have something that is stable and consistent, although that shows up as a lack of freedom initially, it actually promotes freedom because now your brain can be used for all the things that your brain is actually designed for innovation, empathy, creativity, making beautiful things in the world. So the, the number one thing that you could do is develop routines and automate things so that you can answer big questions that show up every day. You know, some of the number one questions is when should I wake up in the morning? What time should I go to bed at night? How long should I sleep? 
Should I do a morning routine or not? Should I do a wind down routine or not? If you can actually just resolve that for yourself and automate those decisions, make them operating rules of your life, that's just one less thing you have to deal with. And the name of the game here is eliminating as many of these death by a thousand cuts decisions as you can by big categories, like what you created with with biking rather than driving a car. Another classic example that, that I see is working out. You know, so you go to work, you you car commute, you deal with all those decisions. You don't know when you're going to take lunch. You deal with that. Somebody brings in chocolate cake. You deal with that. Your willpower is going down and down and down. And as you're driving home, you're thinking, should I go to the gym or not? At that point, you've probably exhausted your capability to make a good decision that's consistent with what your commitment is. So the yes, no of go to the gym defaults to no. That's just because you've left it to chance. That would just be another thing that you want to automate and create a routine around. I think that's great. I, I think uh, um, uh, to bring this back to the uh, pro- the professional world, to the or the the whatever work, whatever you're, it is you're working on. Um, you know, if you think about, uh, okay, I know I'm going to meet with John uh, every week uh, on Wednesday morning. I could. Um, uh, scramble around every Tuesday and be like, oh, oh, I didn't, I didn't set that meeting up. Uh, I should set that meeting now, and I should write up an agenda and uh, but whatever else I, I need to do. Or I could set a recurring meeting that just sits on the calendar and that comes up every week. I don't have to think about it. John doesn't have to think about it, um, and we show up on Wednesdays. So similarly, uh, I, I, I would, I would, I, I do this, and I would encourage anyone who uh, is in a position to do this to. Um, set as as many meetings as you can that you, if you know you are going to need a regular cadence with folks, um, go ahead and set up a, a recurring meeting. Put no end date on it. You can always cancel it if it if it uh, you know turns out that it's not needed any at, at some point. Um, this is what I do across uh, my own teams. We have uh, recurring meetings and like clockwork, they show up. They have very um, uh, uh, they have structured agendas uh, that uh, allow us to plug in what we need to uh, each uh, each week or each every other week or you know however however whatever the cadence looks like, um, and do the same thing with clients. And I think it's uh, the, the the more that you can get everybody else on the re- on on your routine around like when we're meeting when we're when we're uh, having a conversation, the easier it is to go back and talk about uh, and do some of the other things that we were talking about it then oh all of a sudden it's easier to, to to create blocks of focus time because my meetings are structured across my calendar so no one's gonna surprise me with a with a with a, with a meeting because we already have that uh, set for uh, a, a very specific time this week so I can plan for now my focus time and then all of a sudden this uh, 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 what I, I think sometimes shows up as a a really scary thing is, you know, managing your calendar and, and it, it's like this, it's kind of the, the wild west. It becomes very manageable. It becomes, uh, uh, in, in fact, very easy to manage. Um, but it's a matter of, of, uh, of taking control, doing, John, what you were talking about, um, uh, 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 setting up those routines, but doing it in maybe a, a way that you hadn't considered before. Mm-hmm. I, I love, you brought in two of my favorite kind of tools and techniques for reducing decision fatigue and increasing your cognitive capability. And that is the calendar and the list or what I call a recipe. And I like to use those in tandem. And you just had a perfect example of that. Set up a recurring team meeting and have the agenda in the invite. 
that's a one-two punch right there and it's done. If you, you know, a lot of people resist digital calendars and, and that whole world, but just consider a couple things. One, this is only as important as what you're up to. You know, there'll be some people who just, they, you're really not up to much and that's okay. Then you don't need a calendar. Then you can deal with having your cognition overloaded. You can deal with fatigue of decisions because the impact is a little bit less. But if you actually have things that you're standing for and you're committed to producing, this is a non-negotiable. Calendar management and time management isn't about time management. It's about life management. This is about purpose management. What you put on the calendar and how you live your life, how you live your week, for example, is how you live your life. How you spend the day is how you're spending your life. So when I talk about automating things like wake times, sleep times, dining, eating, when I'm going to fast or not, what I'm going to wear, when I'm going to work out, the calendar is the tool that you can use to do that. And to the degree that you can trust that system, to the degree that you can be reliable for doing the things when they show up on your calendar, the cognitive load just disappears. Decision fatigue disappears because you're like, I don't have to worry about that. That's on my calendar. And then you got a checklist for it. And that's the other big part of this. You know, the number one reason people spend way too much money at the grocery store. They don't have a shopping list. (laughs) Yep. Create a list. Create a list of what you're going to eat. Have a to-do list as a cognitive load tool. Have checklists or agendas or recipes for your routines, for your meetings, for the common things that you do. Get that all out of your brain which is David Allen says, your brain is a great place for having ideas, not a great place for storing ideas. So get that all down, put it on a calendar, put it on a list, and then start to submit yourself, surrender to that, and then watch the freedom expand in your life because now you're making a difference. You have a whole bunch more space in your life. Yes, you're a slave to your calendar, but you're free to make the, your life purpose come true. And I think that's a much more meaningful freedom. Yeah, I think that's great. I think um, uh, we can also um, uh, we can all be, uh, we can also account for what is going to we are, we are necessarily going to make a whole bunch of decisions over the course of a day, and we can we can account for that. So, um, thinking about uh, making maybe working on harder problems or making more critical decisions earlier in the day when the gas tank is full, so to speak. Um, it, it, it avoids avoids putting ourselves in that situation. I, I I know personally, if I went grocery shopping at I don't know nine o'clock in the morning, I, I there there would be a, a maybe a different outcome than if I went at, at uh, you know six o'clock at night or something like that. So um, you know we can think about just just maybe how you want to lay out your day uh, to put yourself in a position to win, uh, put yourself in a position to make good decisions, and then if you couple that, John, like what you were talking about. I'm going to go uh, grocery shopping early in the morning and I'm going to go with the shopping list uh, rather than uh, kind of winging it. Uh, yeah. Puts you in, in a decision to, 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 um, uh, to, to win in that, in that situation. It strikes me as you're saying all this, that, um, you know, one of my coaching clients in the last couple of weeks said, wow, if I did all of this, this would require so much consciousness or so much intentionality. And I, I think, yeah, it, it will. It, you can't. You can't be asleep at the wheel, 
in your life and expect to be experiencing what we're calling peak performance or optimal human consciousness of flow state, the great thing is you actually get energy back. So intentionality and having an ordered consciousness doesn't cost you energy. It might cost you some setup and it might cost you some constraint. You might have to say, okay, I'm living according to a calendar now. I'm living according to a recipe or a checklist now. I'm not going to order things that are off my shopping list. I'm going to automate my bill paying. I'm going to automate the money that goes to my 401k or goes into savings. And now I've got all of that energy back, not just to produce wonderful things in the world, but to be with family, to pursue creative pursuits and athletic pursuits, to live a life of energy, vitality, and passion. That's the trade-off. So you can be asleep, you can be unconscious, you can be unintentional, and you could cut a skate through life. Or you can wake up and you can start actually managing the way that you're spending your life. And like we said last week, it's not that it's that complicated. It's actually pretty simple. It's just having the courage to actually go do it and having the discipline to stick with it. Um. I think this is a great. Let's get into some takeaways, John. I don't. I, I don't. I don't want to muddy, muddy the water by by saying anything. That was good. That was a. Uh, we'll have to take that clip out for for some and use it somewhere. That was wonderful. Um, so let's talk about some t- maybe some 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 things that we can do to uh, kind of get it out on the on the court. Uh, both uh, and we can talk about. Um, uh, certainly, decision fatigue, but this will probably dovetail with uh, uh, cognitive load as well. Yeah, I think the beautiful thing, George, is that any of these best practices or routines or takeaways that we're going to provide the listeners will not only simultaneously reduce decision fatigue or eliminate it and reduce cognitive load, but they will generate peak performance. They will generate flow states. So it's you know that's the that's the good news here. One set of practices gets you all of the bad stuff out and all of the good stuff in, and you can start gradually shifting towards that. Before we do that, just sort of the last thing I want to say about the world of cognitive load and decision fatigue is for most people, as you get clear on purpose and what you're here to do, you're going to need to dramatically scale back. You're going to need to simplify. I would say this to everybody within listening of my voice right now, you're probably doing way too much. You're trying to get it all done. It's overwhelming and frustrating and wearing you out. You're going to need to let go of probably like 60, 70, 80% of it, and then really zero in on what's really, truly important. And then life starts to, to sing for you. Yeah, you're going you're, you're gonna to die with a list of things to do. That's that's the that's the truth of the matter. That's some right some some yeah someday you're gonna die and you're gonna have all sorts of things that you just didn't get done and that's that's okay. <laughs> I think we walk around with this illusion or this mythology which you're pointing to, which is that today's the day. I, I've made the same to do list a million times. I've never once gotten it all done. But you know, Wednesday, March third, twenty twenty one. Today's my day. I'm feeling lucky. No, you're never gonna get it done. There's no right way to do it. You're never going to get everything complete. You've never gotten it complete. There's no human on the planet who's getting it all done. Even though I ascribe to David Allen's getting things done, it's a misnomer right at the outset. You can't. But you can get some things done. And you can be really intentional about it and bring a high degree of order consciousness to it. And those are the people who are making the biggest difference in the world. Okay. Takeaways. 
takeaways. Uh, let's start with routines. Routines and routines and rest and recipes, as you as you put it. But I I, I think uh, um, I just spoke to it. I'll speak to it again. I think if you are if you are in a uh, in any position to um, uh, have a say about how things go, like if you have a say, to, uh, if you can if you can write a recipe, if you can write an outline, if you can uh, write a routine for your day, uh, that is something that is very easy to start implementing right away. Uh, put together a grocery list. Put together an agenda for the meeting that you have this week and start doing that regularly. Um, put together uh, maybe routines for your team, uh, so, uh, a recurring meeting uh, rather than setting setting up meetings kind of ad hoc or as needed or, or whatever. <clears throat> you can start doing those things today. Those are some examples. Mm-hmm. I would say um, I'll add in some routines more from the personal side. Having a morning routine, having a work shutdown or what we would call a power down routine, having an evening routine or an unwind routine. It doesn't have to be complicated. It could just be one or two things, but have that on a checklist. When I say recipe, that's what I mean. Like I've been doing a morning routine for over a decade now, and it's the same every day, but I still have a checklist because that reduces cognitive load and decision fatigue. I can wake up early in the morning and I can just be a little blurry eyed before my coffee. Then I can just do this, then this, then this every, every single day, the same way. Another routine I would recommend people have is when are you going to work out? Since that's the one that most people kind of struggle with, figure out when you want to do it. Some people it's better in the morning. Some people it's better in the midday. Some people it's better at night, not within two to three hours of bedtime, but you know, later in the day, right? But actually get clear for yourself, when is it going to be <clears throat> and set a rule that applies to an infinite number of situations, one rule to rule them all, <laughs> and then just stick with it. And then you'll you'll be down from that 35,000 down to a lot less. I'd say another takeaway that I would like to offer is have zero tolerance for things like multitasking, distraction, and interruption, kind of the big three. We haven't spent any time talking about multitasking, but for any of you who are listening who still think that multitasking is the way to go, Google that. There's plenty of science that that dismantles that idea. Human brains are not designed for multitasking. They're designed for serial processing. The task switching load and penalty is so significant. It flies in the face of what we're talking about with reducing cognitive load. It tremendously overloads your cognitive processing. So become a professional single tasker, be completely indistractable. That might mean you need to change your relationship with social media and the news. And then be uninterruptible. Do not allow the people in your life to interrupt you. That, that's, that's, one of my, that's one of my big takeaways. Yeah, I think that's great. And uh, just to point back to a couple of things we talked about earlier, is, you know, setting up... Um, uh, uh, it, it's helpful to set up strict uh, strict time blocks, planned time blocks. So kind of looking back at what we were talking about, you know, with uh, <clears throat> putting together a list for something like that. And then uh, what we talked about earlier, uh, uh, putting your phone in airplane mode, uh, turning off uh, notifications for uh, emails or for, um, you know, messengers, uh, things like that, that, that are um, uh, going to, uh, yeah, that are inevitably... Uh, going to distract you over the course of a, of a time block or over the course of a day? I would say um, we've talked about this on almost every single episode, but work 50 minutes out of the hour. 
So have specific Pomodoro style times that you're working and then take breaks. Give yourself a cognitive break, go outside, step away, use the bathroom, do breathing, take a quick meditation, whatever you need to do. But work in that 50 minutes on, 10 minutes off will completely outperform and really reduces cognitive load, really reduces decision fatigue. Um, I think that's great. I think uh, we talked about um, some maybe wasteful or low value activities. I think uh, you can start cutting some of those things out or, um, or, or, or at at least maybe batching some of those things. So, um, uh, but, but I think we could start with, uh, uh, um, yeah, maybe we'll start there. Uh, I, I think, uh, my, the example that I made earlier about maybe, um, uh, making food in in batch or doing laundry all, all at the same time or so, like these things that we have to do uh, at their and I don't want to say they're low value you have to clean your clothes you have to eat but um, uh, uh, grouping those such that they uh, they aren't um, uh, distracting you from doing uh, more important tasks uh, over the course of the over the course of your day mm-hmm. here's a way that listeners can make this really actionable. What I would do is I would take out a piece of paper and I would just list what are all the things that I do every day that are high value? What are the things that actually are producing the most outputs or results in the areas that I'm committed to? It doesn't have to just be at work. It could be with your family. It could be with your personal relationship to yourself and self-care. It could be with creative pursuits or athletic pursuits. What are those value activities? Like I think that's the first step is for people to get clear on that. Then take another list and write down, what else am I doing each day? And really get honest with yourself. Like, what are all the things you're doing? And then take that low-value activity list and pick the top five. Pick the ones that are the low-hanging fruit. There's nothing wrong with watching TV. There's nothing wrong with scrolling on Reddit or Facebook. But if those are not low-value activities that are getting in the way and muddying up your cognition, take 30 days and take a challenge and just eliminate them for 30 days see what life is like, and then come back afterwards and you can bring them back in if you miss them. I think that's great. I think that would be a, yeah, that's a, that's a great starting point and a good, good exercise to kind of get clear on what it is that's important to you too, which I, I think is um, good. We haven't talked a lot about that today, but um, getting clear on what's important is, is, is important. Um, it's kind of like field of dreams, isn't it? <laughs> like if you build it, they will come. For a lot of people, you're never going to get clear on what actually is important until you clear out all the junk. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I think uh, um, another thing that uh, uh, you'd, you've written down is list, list all of the um, uh, listing out the like decisions that you make frequently and then create a rule for those things. So you talked about your morning routine, John. Uh, perfect example of something that uh, you, you could write out. Uh, growing, going to the grocery store is a routine, and if you have things that you get regularly, maybe there's a way that you could standardize that you could even standardize that sh- that shopping list. Um, I talked about uh, putting putting together uh, agendas, uh, static agendas for meetings. I find that to be uh, real, very impactful uh, for not just me, but for across uh, across the uh, teams uh, that I work with. So, a lot of things that we can do with that as well. Automate bill paying. That's a huge one. If you're still if you're still paying um, or you're still um, paying all your bills by hand, man, go ahead and actually like automate that now. 
So one decision, one use of time now goes for the rest of time and you never have to worry about it. I think the last big takeaway for me would be optimizing the environment. And you open the conversation talking about that. Really take a hard look at what's extraneous, what's distracting in the environment and pare it down. Simplify, automate, um, reduce any friction. Are you always stumbling to try to find a iPhone charger? Buy extra chargers and have them in the rooms that you need them. Do the, make the small investments now that make your environment support you. So that's just one less thing you have to worry about. Yeah, I, 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 I love that. I think that's great. And I think um, it's, uh, uh, it, it, it is ever more, ever more possible uh, now, as as I think more folks are working from home, think think about uh, where it is that you're you're you are working from home. the The reality is about uh, around um, uh, what, what's happened over the last year with COVID. The reality is that it's not going away, and that's something that I I I, I don't think people are are quite uh, prepared to to uh, take on fully. Um, but the world literally is different now. Uh, and so, I, you you have you have seen over the last six eight months companies that have gone to work from home full time. Um, you've seen companies become oh oh what do you know we can still get work done even though we don't have a uh, a big uh, you know we don't have everybody in a in, a, in an office space uh, life life still goes on. Um, think about think critically about where it is that where where it is that your physical person is and like John was talking about earlier what kind of distractions are around you think about your workspace uh put time into that i, I think uh, would, would pay pay dividends mm-hmm. yeah get intentional about your behavior get intentional about your environment get intentional about your team and your organization i think the last thing that i want to say is just I, I wanted to share just something from my own life before we wrap and that is um you know, I'm, I'm leveraging these techniques and technologies to pretty good effect in my life. And I, I still fell prey to something. Over the course of this year, the number of goals that I was pursuing kind of like followed that bright, shiny object syndrome. And I started adding on goals and adding on initiatives and using all that extra time and space that I had created by reducing cognitive load and decision fatigue. And then I found myself back in the trap again. Uh, as of last week, I ended up having 14 separate goals that I was chasing for the year. There's nothing wrong with that number, but the impact on me was that I started to get scattered. My attention, my energy, my consciousness became scattered. I started experiencing overwhelm. I started experiencing burnout. And so one of the things I did is was very, very challenging, but I wrote down all the goals on a big whiteboard. I rated them based on their alignment to my values I rated them based on impact towards my life's mission and my purpose. And I rated them on which ones I loved, which ones I actually loved doing and which ones brought me passion and joy. And I got the list down to five. I had to give up things that are very important to me. And I used a technology which was like, I'm not doing this now. It doesn't mean I'm not doing it. It just means like right now I'm going to focus on these five. And through doing that, it's been about a week since I've put that on the court my level of mental presence has increased. My relaxed and easeness has increased. My performance has increased and I've got more passion and joy. So that's just an example from my life of how I'm implementing these technologies and how I can still 
find myself drifting towards overloading and over deciding. I think that's great. I, um, I think, um, well, one thing that I have been uh, kind of tasked with and interested in, in, in doing now is is taking the the uh, taking what we've talked about today and um, bring that across my entire uh, my entire team, ultimately my entire organization. Uh, the The ability to um, focus and uh, be uh, organized in, uh, in in time blocks is valuable for for everyone everyone it doesn't matter what your what your position is uh, what you do customer facing not what I don't, whatever whatever it is your, your job is and so um, that's what I've taken on is uh, starting with my own uh, the, d- the development team that I work with uh, and um, all, yeah ultimately bringing that across the organization would be uh, is, is the goal. It's the big goal. Congratulations, George. That's really amazing. I recognize your leadership within your organization, and they're lucky to have you. Our listeners are lucky to have you. I really appreciate the conversation. I hope this makes a difference for people. We're going to put some references and resources in the in the show notes, and we're looking forward to coming back and seeing everybody next week. Awesome. Thank you, John. Thanks, George. Bye, everyone. <laughs>